to the Edium Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by EdiumProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to hold up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Joachim Pastor. Joachim Pastor is a French DJ and producer who's been a staple in the dance music industry for over a decade. He helped co-found the successful French record label Hungry Music, and he's currently been releasing with Armada Music. So in this episode, we start off with Joachim's background, discussing the early experiences that led him to pursue a career as a producer and DJ. He discusses how he nearly gave up a career in music hundreds of times due to the rejections and setbacks that pretty much all musicians face, so it was really cool to hear how he overcame that. We also talk about the choices that really helped him to steadily build up the career to the successful point that it's at now. On the production side, Joakim dives deep into his analog and digital workflow, so if you're looking for a more tech-heavy episode, you're in luck here. He discusses his analog studio setup, revealing his favorite gear and what he uses each piece for. He also breaks down his favorite digital effects as well as his three Desert Island synthesizers. Throughout this entire episode, Joakim offers really useful tips for mixing with distortion, reverb, and compression, and so much more. There's a ton that you'll be able to pick up inside this episode. Later on, he discusses why most producers shouldn't invest in a nice pair of studio monitors and why producing with in-ear monitors is actually better than over-ear monitors that most producers actually use. He also reveals his best strategy that helps him finish more music, which strangely enough is Microsoft Excel. Now, Joakim just released a fantastic new single called Soul Invictus out now on Armada. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the interview. We talk about the production for it in this track. I'm a big fan of the track. Definitely go give it a stream if you like it. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the Edium Podcast with Joakim Pastor. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Joaquin Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Sweet. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I'd like to learn what initially got you into music and later on music production. I started music when I was, I'm going to go really fast on that. I started music when I was four years old. My parents kind of forced me to go to the conservatory and I had to learn solfege. I don't know how to say it, but it's like music uh, language and yeah. stuff like that without touching an instrument, which I thought was kind of crazy. So I did that for about 13 years. I touched a lot of different instruments, flute, uh, guitar mainly, and, uh, but, but a lot of different stuff. And, um, and basically when I was 14 years old or something like that in my second conservatory, I, uh, I just wanted to, um, you know, when you want to do a band, it's a whole, it's a big logistic. You gotta, you gotta have a car, have a place to rehearse, especially in Europe, everything is small. So, so when you're 14, basically it's impossible. One of my teacher, I told him, I want to make music on my computer. And so I can do like background track and I can play guitar on, on top of it. You know, that's, that's, so I would kind of do my band on my own. So he gave me a, <laughs> he had a studio and stuff. So he gave me a Cubase uh, SX uh, thing. And it took me like months to, f because there was no internet at the time. I didn't have internet and it took me months to figure out what was MIDI and what was stuff and how to make a sound. So basically that's kind of how I went to, to music to, so, so then I started like, yeah, trying to create stuff really from scratch. Nobody helped me. I mean, I kind of learned it all like that. It was kind of 
crazy. But and then I thought, you know, I really I've done music since I'm a child, and I did have. I'm not saying I'm a Mozart or whatever, but I, I did have yeah. some kind of natural talents for it. Some guys are great at sports, but I was great at music. And I said, okay, I'm going to do music, but uh, I'm going to do electronic music because well, I loved it. I listened to it all the time. But then I thought that's a music I can do on my own. You know, I don't need to have. Yeah. A, you know, when you're 14, 15 years old, it's a, it's a, it's just a huge logistic and cost and everything to actually make a band. I think it's something you do more when you're a bit older. But uh, so so yeah, so that's how I, that's how I went to to do electronic music. Basically, it's a, so who were your influences on the electronic side at that point? I listened to a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. And actually, it's it's quite funny to to note. I don't know if it's funny, but <laughs> to me, it's relevant <laughs> to note that. Uh, yeah. Um, I never, when I started making music and when, peop, and when I started, I never even realized that what a DJ was doing, that he was taking music from other people and stuff. You know, I always thought they were doing music live. It's kind of what I do now. I do live music. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, so uh, the, my influences were uh, Daft Punk. I listened to Daft Punk since I'm like maybe nine years old. Maybe I li- and, and I think Discovery is the album I listened to the most in my life, like genuinely. Um, so yeah, Discovery, Homework, uh, that, that really shaped me, I guess. Uh, also Jean-Michel Jarre, I listened to a lot when I was a child. Yeah. Actually, I went to a, f- a concert of, of Jean-Michel Jarre uh, in Versailles when I was uh, four years old. And I still have some memories of it. My father took me there because he loved, uh, he loved it. It was an outdoor concert. And yes, uh, also Kraftwerk and stuff. My father always he used to go to, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, like a library, but for discs. I don't know if you okay. guys used to have that uh, or whatever. And you would go and you would kind of, oh, instead of borrowing a book, you would borrow a disc. And he would always come home and have like electronic music stuff. I mean, a lot of different stuff from classic to electronic to jazz to whatever. But but uh, so, yeah, so since I've been a child, child, I, I always listen to to a lot of different stuff. But, but uh, I, I do think a lot of my influences are not just electronic music I, I i used to listen to death metal and to 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 jazz and to classic a lot a lot i mean uh, i i do lot listen to a lot of different styles and uh and yeah so you decided okay i want to be making electronic music because it's you know logistically difficult to get you know five 14 year olds in a room with their instruments at yes. the same exact time yes so you know, you're deciding that you want to make electronic music. Was that just kind of like your hobby at that point? Or even at that young age where you're like, I think I could do something bigger with music. It's hard to tell. Uh, I think uh, I was taking it as a hobby because just, I liked it. You know, it's just, I liked it. I liked to music and I liked to, to, yes, I, I, I just liked it. But uh, maybe at some point I started to think maybe I could do this for a living or to be no, to be honest, if I'm uh, brutally honest, I I <laughs> I, I almost uh, gave up like a hundred times. It's very 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 hard um, to get into that that thing of doing music, and, and and especially when you love music, when it's your passion, and when that's what you love, the emotions and stuff, and and you and you try to make something and you don't get a response. Response, you know, you're on your own in your world you feel like you've sent stuff nobody cares nobody listens you're nobody you're just beginning and stuff and it really hurts you you know you 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 feel like people don't like you like they reject you you know what i'm saying and 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 that was really hard i guess and i'm sure it's something almost every musician except the guy that made his first track and made a hit with it i think it's something that almost every musician has felt and that's why i think the, the ones that survive in that thing is the people driven by passion because if you don't have the passion then you give up because it's really hard but so so i don't know if i always ever wanted to make a 
job or whatever. I think it's just the passion. I just liked the music. I wanted to do it and I wanted to do more. And then, yeah, but, but it took me a real long time to, to actually start to make a dime with, with money, you know, with, uh, with money, with, with music, yeah. because, uh, sorry, but, um, I, I, I didn't do it at the beginning. You, you, I feel like you never do it for the money, for the, for the, to, to make it your job. You know what I'm saying? And, and I do yeah. think that when it becomes your job, then it's not as good as when you just do it for the music. And that's why I keep trying to do it like that. And when I do music, I, I just do the music and I want to do something I like. And I never think about, are people going to like that or is this going to yeah. work or not? And, and to be honest, to be fair, whenever you do something like, oh, I'm going to make a track like that because it's going to work, it never works. And the tracks that work are always the track where you said, oh, I'm just going to whatever. I'm just going to do, do, do what I want. And then it works. I, I, there is something that maybe it's more genuine or it's more real or something. I don't know. So you said that you struggled for a while to start making a dime off of music. At what point did you start to get closer to actually making some money off of music for the first time? That was, I think maybe like three years before the, the, the hungry music thing. So I think it was, uh, when I was maybe 20, I don't know, 21, 22, something like that. I had started, yeah. I, I, but, but the, the first tracks I released, it was like in 2008. Ba well, basically it's very simple. I made some tracks, they worked okay. And some guys were like, oh, do you want to come play for a club? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And so I, I started going for, uh, for almost, uh, Nothing. I mean, basically, it would almost cost, cost me money. At the, but I guess that's always how you have to. That's always how you start at the beginning. You know, yeah. it's like when you make a new company and you say, "Oh, yeah, for so many years, I'm going to make zero. You know, it's like a gamble. It's like a yeah. You, it's like you investing your time, your your heart into something. So so yeah, that's so. Then I I, I started making music, uh, making money just with the gigs, basically with the touring, and it doesn't matter when you're twenty. 21, 22 years old, and someone say, hey, you want to come and play in Berlin? It doesn't matter if you even have to pay for it. You're just so happy to play. Oh, yeah, because something I didn't say is that for so many years, I had friends playing um, in Paris. And, and because at the very, very, very beginning of my career, I was a guy in Versailles. I, I didn't know anyone. I didn't even know what DJing was. I didn't have any friends in, the, in this area, any connection in this area. I was really yeah. a guy on my own. <laughs> trying to make it and and um and plus i'm not that good with i mean i'm good with relations but i'm not like a guy that's networking and that's always you know some guys are really good at this you know but me i just i like i have my friends i have i, I like to talk to people but i'm not a networker i never do it with the, with the idea behind my head like oh i'm going to talk to that guy and then it's going to get me there you know but i always i was always craving like to be able to to play my music for people, play music for people, it was a dream for me. So when you start yeah. having guys saying, "Hey, do you want to come and play there and do that?" So you you do it. You know, it doesn't matter. The money doesn't really matter. You know, you just do it. You know, yeah. So even even now, to be honest, uh, I think especially at that age too, yeah. I think it can be easier just to be like, "Hey, I'm like 21, 22. I'm not in this space right now, at least to make a ton of money." Like, obviously, it'd be nice, but I think it's easier to kind of get those. Yeah. early gigs out of the way at yeah, that yeah, age, at least. Yeah, and plus you have a lot of energy. So I guess <laughs> True. like crappy travels and bad airplanes and crappy hotel, it doesn't matter that much. But as the, the more old, the older you get and the tougher yeah. it is, the, the the traveling is the is the is the tough thing. People always say, "Oh, when you you every weekend you're around the world, and man, you must see so many cities." And I said, "No, I don't." First, I don't really like to travel, but they but yeah. I love the gig, but I don't like the traveling. 
And I say, no, I just see the airport, the taxi and the <laughs> hotel, you know, that's it. And I'm exhausted when I come home. It takes me two days to, to I mean, it depends what gigs, but some gigs, man, when you yeah. have a, a 10 hour of plane and this and that, and you just do that in, you do a round trip on two days, you're just, you know, dead, you know, that's, I think to me, that's the most annoying thing with the, with the, with the touring It's just the traveling. So you said that you really wanted to play these gigs um, so that you could DJ. Was that just because you wanted to be DJing in general with other people's music or did you want to like be able to share your music? What was your motivation at that point? Um, it's true at the very, I had, like, maybe I had like two gigs as a DJ, you know, and I would love to play yeah. other people's music. Um, and sometimes it was a bit crazy because I was mixing. When I think about it now, I'm like, man, you were crazy. I mean, I was playing insane stuff and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, then I just wanted to do, it's like a concert, you know, when I was a bit young, when I was younger, I would go and see some guys playing metal or whatever and i would go to see their music you know and mm -hmm. i was always i always thought it was kind of weird it's something i understood later i always thought it, it was kind of weird when i saw djs and and people were going to see that famous dj and he wouldn't play any of his own music and i was like man it's disappointing you know you go and you because you love that guy you love his music and he plays other music you know i want to see i want to listen to your music dude so 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 to me the the making the live act and 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 playing my own music was always natural because i felt like it's like a band if i go see yeah. uh queen and they play uh, uh some someone else's music i'm gonna <laughs> not be happy you know well i can't see them but, uh, but you know what i'm saying <laughs> I, I get what you mean <laughs> so at what point did things start to develop a bit more and you know you're not just making minimum wage going out to berlin and this start to be more of a kind of successful artist project I would say just maybe one year before we did Hungry Music, okay. uh, I had uh, more gigs and I was starting to, 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 yeah, almost kind of live out of it. I mean, living is a very subjective uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, word, I, I think. But, uh, but yes, um, and then we, we made uh, Hungry Music and, uh, and that really, there was a good chemistry, you know, when we, when we created the, the, the label and it was really, it was really something and it was, at, at that time, it kind of gave us uh, some kind of freedom because we were not known. We, we each had our individual carriers. So I'm talking about Ento and Vorakers. The, the, we, we made yeah. the, the, the label together. We, we had our individual career, but we were always kind of annoyed that some labels, they were saying, oh, you need to, uh, to change that or do this or whatever on your track. And so we just wanted to do our own music. So we said, okay, let's just make our own label and we can just get together and listen and, and release the music we want, you know, basically that was it. So, so then it created the, the, the whole hungry thing and the, the, the whole, the whole story. And, uh, I mean, it was great for, for years to, it was a good adventure, you know, to, to, to do all that. Uh, so yeah, yeah I guess that's when I started to make, um, to make it more, to be able to live uh, more comfortably, but, uh, but yes. Uh. So you said that, you know, kind of having the Hungry Music label and joining together with those other artists was a nice turning point for you to be able to start growing your career at a bigger pace. What was it about um, the label and like the self-releasing that allowed you to grow at that rate? Was it just, you know, being able to release all the music that you wanted because you had the control? Was it the promotion that you were doing? Kind of talk on that. Um, I think it was to be able to release the music we want, basically. I mean, the, we, we just said, uh, yeah, I would, I would make a track and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. I think just being able to do the music we want basically. And, uh, 
I mean, that, to me, that's the main thing. It's, it's always about the music. To me, it's always the music. You know, if the music is good, then everything will, the, the rest will flow. You know what I mean? I think yeah. if you take, you can take really bad music and advertise it a lot, a lot. And, and you, you, you maybe you will make some money out of it quickly, but to, but to last for a long time, you got to just have quality products, you know, quality music, yeah. quality. I say product. I, I, I don't really like to say that actually. <laughs> it's not, it's not a product, but quality art, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah so i i I would say it was mainly the i think it was mainly the fact that we could do the music we wanted and the the fact that it was the three of us and so it kind of gave a strength to each other you know what i'm saying like uh, yeah i think that's a really interesting idea because i think a lot of artists like the freedom of the self-releasing but just having a couple other artists that you're with to grow with is a great opportunity. Like I think, you know, like the SoundCloud collective was really popular three, four years back. And I think yeah. it worked for the, for that reason, because you had a couple other artists that you could, you know, at least check your sound. Hey, is this good enough for me to release yes, yes, and yes. then be able to like self promote and like grow your audiences together. And yes. that's kind of what a label does on a much bigger scale. But again, you've got that freedom underneath. It is kind of a filter because if you don't have a filter and you don't have, you can't the kind of step back as an artist, you're always in your music. It's hard for you to step back and look at your yeah. music objectively. So sometimes it's nice to have, um, yeah, guys telling you this is good. This is not as good. And, uh, and, and, and one thing I, I do think that some people, <laughs> some people always feel like music is a war you know what i mean like like <laughs> yeah. like 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 if you have another guy with talent next to you it's a threat you know and you gotta put him down you know that's not how it works yeah. it's normally the the the, the talents they kind of emulate each other if you put a lot of people with a lot of talent together they will do something great it's not music is not a war you know but yeah. too, but but it's, it's there is a lot of people and i think ego has a lot of uh, to do with that but a lot of people yeah, they, they take music for a war and it's like if someone's better than them or if someone, not better because you can't quantify, nobody's better or whatever, but if someone has yeah. talent equally or whatever, if someone else has talent, they see it as a threat because, and, and, and to me, that's something I've encountered and seen, not just on me, on a lot of people, you know, and yeah, yeah if you want to do good stuff, you, you got to emulate everything and putting talents together and there it's not a fight. You know, if you're, if your labor guy mate does something great, it's great for him. It's great for you. You know, I mean, that's the point. You know, some people don't yeah. get that. <laughs> no, I think that's really important for everyone listening as you're kind of building your group and circle of producer friends, just to be careful about where they fall on that spectrum. I think I've got some friends that no, I could put out anything and they'd be excited for me. They want to see me grow. And I've got some other friends where if you catch them on the wrong day, they might be a little bit dismissive of some of the things that I create. And, you know, everybody's got their own egos, not putting anyone at fault here, but it's just important to keep that in mind just yeah. to be like, Hey, this person might be in a bad mood today. This person might be a little bit jealous. And on the flip side, like be supporting those around you and, you know, don't create because you want to beat the guy who's on your label, you know, create cause you want to create. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So kind of moving on to 2020, you've uh, kind of moved away a bit from the hungry music and started working with Armada. So talk me through how that opportunity officially came out. Well, basically, I, I with Ento, I think um, uh, there was some things going on, and we 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 kind of parted with uh, with Hungry. Let's let's just let's just sum it up like that, even though it's yeah. not exactly like that, but whatever. <laughs> but um, basically, I was uh, looking for. Uh, for the, I, I already had a lot of ideas for the future, and then the Armada guy uh, um, 
came in contact with us and I always thought Ahmad would be a great fit for me actually to be honest on the first time I think yeah. about it because my music has a lot of melody it's not just I, I I don't like when it's just techno beat and stuff even though I like to listen to it I'm not too good at producing it I don't know why that's I guess that's how it is but uh, and and I did a lot of things with vocals and I don't know I I always like the, the, the melody side of thing and and I'm not the guy that's afraid some people you know let's 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 we talk uh, real today okay so so some people let's are afraid <laughs> to <laughs> they're afraid they are in the underground scene and they're super afraid like oh no if i put a vocal on my track it's going to make it uh, not cool or not underground or not techno or not whatever and then yeah. it's going to be uh, commercial or whatever and 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 to me i mean i i me i never think like that i just think in terms of do i like it or do i not like it that's it and if yeah. i and that's why my music, people say, wow, your music, it's always a bit different. It's like you're never listening to the same track, the same thing. It's so different. And yeah, it's because yeah. I, that's how I think. Do I like it? Do I not like it? If I like it, or if it's totally crazy, like a super hard techno or super, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do a big stretch. But 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 I do. That's how I think. And, and some guys uh, are doing it more and more in the underground scene to 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 kind of get freed from that because the the whole point of the techno and the underground thing was to be free you know but if if you just lock yourself into a room saying oh uh, i want i have to just do that because otherwise i'm going to be labeled this or labeled that then you're not free it's anymore it's not freeing yeah <laughs> and, and, and to me um I, I always say i don't like trends you know i don't like trends and i don't like when something's trendy or whatever because yeah. uh, it kind of it's it destroys the creativity because then everybody does the same music you know so mm -hmm. it, and it works I, in every world uh, uh, world sorry every world uh, whether it's jazz or 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 classic or or techno or or uh, or house or whatever it, yeah if there is a trend and everybody's gonna follow that trend and it's gonna make the the it's gonna make it more dull you know what I mean I think everybody should do what they want what do it and and then it would be more individual thing and everybody would have their sound and it would be more recognizable and stuff i don't know that's that's how i i feel so so yeah i was never afraid to do more like i call it like more open music you know and, yeah uh, and uh, and uh, when i have people that come and say man uh, my grandmother listened to your track and she loves it and she sings it all the time I, it makes me happy it doesn't make me like oh no i'm not underground because my <laughs> mother likes to you know so yeah. so so that's uh you know the so yeah, I always thought that Amada was a good match. And to be honest, uh, these guys, they are amazing. They are, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm not just saying that I should tell them. I think I will write them an email, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, they work a lot, you know, it's uh, like a yeah. hard work and it's, you feel like they're motivated and every, everything I've asked, oh, can I maybe do something with that person? Or is it possible to get a vocal like that? Or can I, and it's like on the 24 hour, I, I get exactly yeah. what I want. I feel like it's the, I have I, I feel like I haven't been uh, surrounded like that and, and be happy to, to produce my music. As be, I feel supported. And I think it's very important for an artist to feel like you have, you have people behind you and, and, and you, you're not making your music in vain. Like you're making it and then you can put it in the trash because nobody's going to do anything with it. I feel like yeah. there's guys behind me which are giving their best and it, it just feels nice. It's a great feeling. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to, to be there. So I really want to talk about your um, first release that you did with Armada, a track that you released, I believe, a few weeks ago called So Invictus. I'm going to play people a promo of it because they have to hear it. I already played it for them in the intro, but they're going to hear it again.
So first off, I want to talk about a bit of the production for it, but let's just kind of start with how did that track initially come about? What was that first seed that, you know, kind of laid the foundation for it? I always uh, I always start with the melody um, and I wanted to do uh, I started with the, the the melody of the little bells I'm not going to sing it for yeah. you but it makes those, those little bells at the beginning <laughs> so I yeah. sing so bad so I don't <laughs> have my auto tune so. but uh, but uh, I wanted to make a track that was really kind of have the dark thing but that would evolve the evolve the the, the whole track compared to yeah. some of the tracks I make sometimes it's like almost the same loop same ID the entire track I wanted this one to really evolve you know like yeah. uh, like those old uh, uh, heavy metal or Queen or whatever, like an opera, you know, like the the, the yeah. track would almost evolve all the time. It wouldn't be the same loop. So so that's what I, I, I tried to do. And then I I, I kind of wanted to make it like some kind of travel, you know. And the, and the, um, so the track is called Sol Invictus, which means uh, uh, Soleil Invaincu. I don't know what to say. Like I don't know, unbeated uh, sun or something like that. Unconquered sun is what it's looking yeah. like in oh, English. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I googled but, it. I did not know that off the top of my head for people listening. <laughs> but uh, but you know, so so, and I thought uh, actually, to be honest, I like the name of, of that. It's a, it's a name of an old thing. Whatever. We're not going to get into detail of that. But I always liked the name. And when I made that track, I thought the name would be fine. And basically, the name kind of made me be like okay make it like you're going from the dark to the light so from the outside of space all the way into the sun basically and so that's why the track is evolving and at the beginning it's very especially on the extended mix it's very there's not many melodies it's more dark and it's more closed that you would say and then the more you get to the end it's like you get to the apogee of the of the to the peak of the of the track and, uh, and that's kind of what i wanted to say but but sometimes i like to not tell too much about the to not give too much an idea about the track to people because some people i like when people make their own story about the track and and some people will yeah. listen to your track and say oh it's a sad track and the same people and and, and other people will listen to the same track and say oh it's a happy track i like when there yeah. is always a, a duality like that and uh, i feel like a lot of my music you can take it as a sad or happy so so it's kind of i don't know i think it's cool would you say most of your productions have that type of foundation in terms of it's based on some type of like descriptive emotive story that you're then trying to manifest with the music. No, I, I would say that it really depends. Some music I do like that. Some music I will look at a movie and say, "Man, I want to do some a track that that gives me that feeling that as this feeling I, I felt this atmosphere I want to." Uh, recreate some some tracks i will just uh i don't know uh, when i'm doing music i will because i do music like all day normally so i, I will encounter in a melody and uh, in my exploration i like to call it like that when i do music it's like exploration explore you know i'm yeah exploring the the, the world of, of, of melodies and, and and what's coming you know basically but uh so it really depends. Some music comes like that. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, every time I do something <laughs> super mental every time. No, no. Sometimes yeah. you just make music, you have a cool melody that comes out and you make it a track. But yeah, it depends. Uh, it, it really depends. So we were talking before this about your new studio that you're developing. And I know just in general, you're a big analog gear fan. So <laughs> I want to talk about live performance in a bit, but right now, just kind of walk me through what some of your favorite outboard tools are right now. And if you used any of them on Sol Invictus, definitely mention it too. I think that'll be cool to give it some context. Yes. Um, well, basically I have a studio. Uh, uh, so right now as you, uh, I'm, I'm changing my studio, but, uh, but uh, let's talk about, so the new studio is going to be amazing, obviously, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the, the, the oldest studio was uh just to say a few words about it it's a 
it was um, it's not a studio like a recording studio it's just one control room so it's a room with a really flat sound and uh, and to, to make the, the, the production the, the I spent yeah. almost two years on the acoustic and and so the acoustic is almost a mastering room basically without the reflection of the console it would be a, a mastering uh, a room the, the quality of, of the response but um, yeah my favorite piece of gear I would say is my console I have a Studer 903 console so it's a rare console really really yeah. cool it's a swiss console it's almost let's say almost otherwise the guys at uh, gear slots are gonna get, yeah, yell at me but it's almost <laughs> the, the in the same league as the at the neve and the and the uh, solid state logic uh, console um yeah. studer was known uh, in europe um a lot of the radio france guys uh, they they that's the console the broadcasting console they had to to uh, record the classical music it's known to have amazing um, preamps and extremely versatile and extremely great uh, eq especially in the in the in the top end yeah um and then the console i have is a uh, is really cool because it's i mean i have uh, 32 channels it's full analog of course and it's a console from the 90s uh and i have like on 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 the on the each stripe i have a, a filter which is it's not all the console have that. So I have eight, eight arcs and the filters and I have a compressor on each channel. And I mean, it yeah. genuinely sounds like the, the, this thing is amazing. It's just genuinely, I spent, I, I recapped it all. I spent like, yeah, maybe a thousand hours of work on it, but now it's redone and it's, it's really amazing. And, and I, I have a lot of other stuff. I have a, a pair of distressors. I have, a, I have a shadow wheel mastering compressor. I don't know if you know what it is. It's a big yeah. black, uh, big, big black thing from, from shadow Hills And, uh, I have a lot of stuff from Elysia. It's a German company. I think it's these guys are doing amazing tools. Like, yeah, my favorite thing from them, I guess, is the character. It's overdrive. I use it on the Sol Invictus, for example, but I use it a lot on the bass. On the bass, what I, I'm going to give you a little tip. <laughs> on, the, on the bass, what I like to do is I, if I have, um, let's imagine I do it with a synthesizer, but let's say I do it in the box, then uh, I will have two, I will copy my, my synthesizer the second uh, bass, I'm going to uh, lower the octave one, so it will be extremely low. And then I will just send it to a distortion or to a overdrive or something like that. And yeah. it's going to give it the, and put, I do it as a parallel huh? and, and it's going to, I mean, as a return and it's going to give it just a grunt. But if you just put the distortion on your bass, it doesn't work. You have to copy it, lower it one octave to make it unbelievably low with full cutoff open. And then it will give a huge grunt to, to, the, yeah. to the bass. So that's how I use that Elysia character all the time to, to do that, to give the grunt to the bass. I, I always copy it, lower it one octave. And, but, uh, but yes, there is a lot of stuff. I, I, and also my favorite uh, reverb is a, is a Lexicon uh, 300L with the, because yeah. it's got a remote, the Lark remote. And I think the reverb is probably the most difficult uh, sound to emulate. Even though the, the, the Lexicon I have, it's not an analog reverb. Technically it's a digital reverb. It's a computer inside the, inside an analog thing so you do have the analog conversion and the and and the amplifying and stuff so it does play a role it, but it's not the same as the emt 140 like uh, the those old uh, uh plates um yeah. which were actual analog or just or some spring plates but 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 still the sound of that thing it's impossible to redo in the computer i have not heard something that come close to it maybe it's yeah. in my head or something but <laughs> I, I tell you i can put it on a full track and it's 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 there but you don't hear it that's the point of the reverb to me it's really really cool 
So how long have you been using this analog setup? I would imagine that the you know broke 20-year-old didn't have all of this gear. So I would imagine that you've kind of developed this over time. Imagine that you've kind of developed this over time. Yes. Well, basically, I always tell people you don't need all the analog uh, stuff. You do not need it. It's I have made my whole career uh, without any of that. Well, just with the computer. And, and you know what? People always tell me, oh, uh, what speakers should I buy? What's okay. And I always tell them you, it's pointless to buy expensive speakers and the best speakers in the world if you don't have fully treated uh, room, fully treated studio. It will, it's like putting a, a wooden wheels on a Ferrari. You know, it's pointless. <laughs> so, so, so basically, what I, my advice is to get a good computer. It seems like it's harder and harder to find, but a good computer and uh, ear monitors. It's what I, I, I have, ear monitors. So they are like uh, little earbuds but there's tailor-made for my ear and they're like the best quality. So the ones I have, the brand I use is Earsonics. It's a French brand, but I'm sure you can find a lot of different ear monitors. And, um, and, and these, they, they, the, the frequency response is the best. And I, with them, I could produce music almost like studio, like I'm in a studio, but I can do it in the plane, in the train, in the hotel. So, so yeah, my advice is you don't need the analog stuff to make good music. What matters is the actual music. It's not the, the, the final 1%, you know, that you may get from yeah. the analog. And, and most of the time you don't get it because you, it takes a lot of time and efforts to, to, to get to a good thing with the analog. So yeah, my, my advice is, is to not get worked up with analog. And, and even though I'm a, I love it and I'm a huge geek about it, if I'm honest, I will say you, nobody, you don't need analog to, to make your career. You don't need any of that. You just need the computer now and good plugins, obviously, and uh, yeah. that, that you pay for. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, a, and a pair of good ear monitors. A good headphones, but normally the ear monitors are, are, are better because the, the membrane is smaller, so that it's more precise, well, whatever. But uh, yes, a, a good pair of ear monitors. And basically, the ear monitors is what, uh, is what you used to play on, on the on, uh, live you know, it's what yeah. you plug on your thing when you play guitar, when you play something on in front of a crowd, you need to hear the click and you hear everything. So you have your ear monitors and they're like soundproof. But mm. but the ones I have, they're amazing quality. They they cost quite quite a, a lot, but less than a pair of good speaker, obviously. And uh, mm. and uh, you can and the, and you can play. You you can do music everywhere basically. And that's what I that's what I've done. A lot of my tracks, I made them in the train, in the plane, or in the hotels when I was on tour or whatever. Yeah, I think it's important within the context of like the analog versus uh, digital debate here is it seems like you genuinely love just the process of working with analog tools. Like I think a lot of people might like the idea of analog, but they're not going to be rewiring like a vintage 90s console in the way that you do. So it seems like you're yes. kind of like a gearhead with like the yes. you know, actual like components and parts of it more so than just like you want an easy way to make your baseline sound thicker. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, um, well, you know what? It's um, analog. All of that is a compromise. If I plug a Moog, uh, if I plug in my console, if I plug a Moog with the EQ of my console and a bit of the distortion of the of the Elysia character, for example, a bit of compression from 1176, and on 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 a return, I put a, just a bit of that uh, reverb, I will get instantly a sound that will be almost very 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 hard to do uh, on the computer and, and believe me i work on the computer all the time but the drawback is that i mean it's a huge commitment it's a huge hassle you don't have a recall you don't i mean it's it's got it's got way more drawbacks than advantage yeah. to me in my in my honest opinion and um 
I don't know. It's uh, but it's cool. That's the thing. Analog is cool. You know, you have it in your studio. <laughs> you like to touch it. I think you people need you. You you start with digital when you really make it. To be honest, like how a compressor works, I think to truly, 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 truly understand how it works, it takes you many years to understand the core of a compressor, the ratio to you. When I use a compressor, it's almost like I can see it in, I can see the process in my head of what it's doing, you know? So, so, and I think to under, it's pointless to start buying a pair of distressors if you don't really know exactly, exactly what the compressor does, how to use it. And, and it's not something you can understand in a few months. To me, it takes years of experience to do so. To me, you need to be a killer on your, in the box, killer on your computer. And then you start getting some analog stuff. Then, and then, and then the best is to have some kind of hybrid system in between. That's kind of what I tried to make to have a hybrid between the digital and the analog. But, uh, but if I have, it's sad, but if I have to choose today, I think I would, if I could only work on one of them, I would choose the, the digital. It's a bit sad, yeah. but, but for the creativity and stuff, I think it's unbeatable. But then to me, it's more important to have a great idea for a track rather than if you have a crappy idea that sounds great, it's still not a good idea. It's, still, it's not good music, you know? So to me, it's, a, so yeah, I would, I would choose digital if I had to, but, but yeah. So I want to get into some of your digital tools, just so I don't lose everybody that's listening to this. But before that, um, sorry, you talked sorry. about a lot of the <laughs> oh good. You talked about a lot of the uh, kind of processing effects that you have outboard. Anything in terms of synthesis, in terms of uh, synthesizers, sound generators. But I have some Dave Smith's uh, instruments. I have uh, the three Moogs. I have a Sirin, a Minotaur, a Minitor, and a, and a Sopati. Uh, yeah. I have a Vermona, Vermona DR uh, M1 uh, Mark III. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not even a drum machine. It's just an expander. It's an analog expander. It's triggered with an old school MIDI, or uh, uh, and it's and it's just it's an analog drum drum box, like old school style. But it's the, the sound of it is amazing. The the hats and the and the kick are really impressive. I like the Moog stuff because. Um, because uh, once again, it's they made it kind of hybrid because you can you can have the kind of like a plugin that looks exactly like the the plugin of your actual hardware, and yeah. and then you can recall everything, and you can MIDI control the thing on your DAW. You can you can do automations and stuff. I mean, it makes everything so much easier. I wish more uh, uh, manufacturers would, would do that. You know, to to link the digital yeah. and analog world like that. But uh, but uh, but yes, it will. I think in 10 years, every five years, maybe every synthesizer that comes out will be exactly like that, like the Moog. So let's get to what you're using in the box. Obviously, it seems like you have strong opinions when it comes to um, effects, synths, and processing. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite tools strictly in the DAW? Yep. Alors, in the DAW, I have a ton of stuff. The ones that I'm going to tell you, the ones I use the most. So the ones I yeah. use the most is the entire Slate uh, Slate uh, bundle, yeah, the, yeah. the Steven Slate. I think he's a, he's a great guy. Does stuff that sound great, and his subscription thing was great. I totally. think it's it's a, it's a, it's great. So so the Slate, I use a lot of, of that, uh, especially the Virtua Mix Rack when, when you have a, a good emulation of the Distressors, eleven seventy six, a lot of Neve stuff, uh, eleven uh, is it ten seventy three something like that? I don't remember, mm. but. Um, but uh, anyway, you, so so yeah, a lot of the virtu of the slate stuff. Uh, I do think their tape emulator emulation is good. It's great too. A bit too, too much bass, but I always align it, and it's great. But uh, otherwise, 
I use uh, the same as uh, the same company, uh, Elysia, uh, the German company. You know, they do the alpha compressor, the compressor yeah. and stuff. Uh, they 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 do uh, plugins with the Plugin Alliance, the guy that does uh, BX console and stuff like yeah. that. Those guys are um, great. Yeah, and uh, and and I use there the I, I use the envelope. I use the compressor, the alpha, and the muse muse uh, music music cue. I use that all the time, and they sound really 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 great powerful takes a lot of resource but they're great otherwise yeah. i use uh, the entire wave bun- wave uh, collection more for uh, technical tools um more like uh, wlm you know the the stuff to check your loud the loudness meters uh, dorometer spreaders although i'm not always so happy with that but 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 yeah i use a lot of the wave stuff I use a, I use some stuff like uh, reverbs, uh, emulation, uh, convolution reverbs. I don't remember the... Oh, yeah, it's a Seven Sevens from... Uh, I don't remember the name of, of the company that makes it, but Seven Sevens. Basically, it's an emulation of the Bricasti. Bricasti, okay. Bricasti. Uh, it's a convolution reverb. Sounds pretty good. But yes, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a ton of stuff. And then on in terms, so that's the effects. But then in terms yeah. of of plugins, I use a lot of uh, UHE, so uh, Diva, uh, Ace, Zebra, uh, Omnisphere, the full Omnisphere collection. I have a lot of contacts, uh, banks. Uh, yes, uh, so uh, Sounders, uh, Sonic Academy, um, Ana 2, which is a great synthesizer. If I had to keep like three synthesizers, I would keep the Diva, Ana Ana 2, and the Omnisphere. I think you can do a lot with those three three guys. The Seventh Heaven Reverb that's from uh, Liquid Sonics. If everybody oh, wants yeah, to Liquid check that out, yeah, yeah, Liquid Sonics. And and they, if you get the the Slate uh, package thing, you also get something from Liquid Sonics. It's included in the package in the bundle. It's a lustrous plate, and it's just an emulation of nine of those uh, analog plates we were talking about, like the EMT one forties and stuff like that. So yeah. so when you get the Slate package, you get a, a bit of that Liquid Sonic. Uh, thing and they do great stuff, but but yeah, the the seven sevens is an emulation of the Bricasti. I think it's M six thousand or M five thousand. I don't remember, but it's it's okay. a great great reverb. It's a natural reverb. I prefer lexicon reverbs, but I do yeah. like the natural reverb for some stuff. Cool. So kind of continuing on with production, um, one thing that I want to ask you about that I think you're really good about in your productions is maintaining interest in a mix. I think in you know more four on the floor house styles, a lot of producers struggle with their mixes being too repetitive, and I think. Your track Soul Invictus is the perfect example of a track that's not that, where it's developing, it's evolving. Um, that was one of the notes that I had down that you kind of touched on was that aspect. So any advice for the way that you make sure that you're you know, developing your tracks and that you're keeping interest just to make sure that um, the track is engaging and interesting to the listener? All right. Um, well, to be honest, the uh, arranging part, the, the structure of the track, is too, for me, is the hardest part. It's the part I struggle to, with the most. Yeah. Um, because I'm really, to me, it's really easy to create music and to do stuff. And it's pretty, it's not hard now just because it's not t- just because of the, the, the experience to, to make it sound good, yeah. but the arranging, making it interesting to me, it, that's the struggle. It's where I spend the most amount of time. It's funny because to me, it has a lot of to do with the speed. Like if a track is boring, it will sound like it's slow. And if I think the track is great, it will sound like it's like upbeat, even though it's the same tempo. And I do think a big part of that is in the arrangement to to make it interesting um it's um it's one, something that helped me is uh one you know dave uh, pensado he does a, a show pensado space and uh, and once i heard him say and i think he was kind of quoting someone else but whatever he was saying that 
the music is kind of like a painting and and you know when you're painting apparently i don't know because i'm not a painter <laughs> it would be that would be horrible because i can't even draw a face but, uh, <laughs> but 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 when you're painting basically the goal is to catch the attention of the eyes on something and then to make the eyes you, you kind of try to control the 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 journey the journey of the eyes you know through your painting so you yeah. kind of try to and basically he was saying it's kind of the same with music and he said oh i like when you kind of try to you draw the, the the listener's attention to that detail and then more into that detail and maybe you know depending on the structure and 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 that kind of helped me to to understand the the, the point of of arranging yeah um but yes otherwise the arranging uh, i don't know if i have good advice to give on that because it, I don't know. I, I think it's important that the track isn't boring. Basically, um, one of my I, I can give you one of my process for that, and but it works also for everything. But uh, but uh, as as you, I told you, I'm a kind of a OCD engineered guy. So yeah. I make a, I make a Excel file. I have an Excel file, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it has. Um, several columns uh, so for example one of them would be arranging one of them is the mix one of them is the textures one of them or whatever and yeah. in the morning when my ears are fresh you know i i go to the studio i listen to my track once only once and i note everything that is wrong with the track so for example if i'm at uh, one minute 20 and i think it's too long in my column that's called arranging i will put one minute 20 too long and then I do that with everything. If I think there's too much bass, too much of this, that's that yeah. crash was too harsh or whatever. I will note everything and then I will modify. Then I have a list, you know, I have a guide for the rest of my session. I have a guide and I know exactly what I need to do. And when this is done, I stop and I do it the next day in the morning. And, and, and when I am done, when there is no more thing in my, in my, in my table, I know the track is done. So that's a good way to structure yourself because sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming and you never know. And, and when you spend too long on a track and you're not, yeah. you're either not fresh. So, so to me, the good advice to, 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 uh, to, uh, I don't know how to say it in, in, in English, but, but basically, yeah, you, you make yeah. A, a table like that. You listen to your track one time in the morning and you note everything you can. You do only the things that you noted, you modify them and then you do some, another track, do something else, whatever. And the next morning, do the, exactly the same. You have more stuff, and every morning in a few two or three sessions, you have less and less stuff. Maybe do one more session a week later to be super fresh, and then that's it. And, and that's how I do the arranging because sometimes yeah. I'm going to be like, "Man, this was too short. I would have preferred to listen to that a bit more." Man, this was too long, or man, uh, this transition was weird. You know, you, yeah. when you listen to it in the morning, bam, you, you or I don't know. I mean, whenever you, as soon as you wake up, you listen to it. You don't listen to any music, anything, you, you know, in between. You just get up, go to the studio, and then, uh, and then it gives you a clear idea. It, I think, to me, that's the thing that helped me the most with the arranging is to do it step-by-step, step, really structurally uh, yeah. like that. I think there's a ton of value in that, especially for finishing that last 10% of a track, because I think for a lot of artists, unfortunately, that last 10% can take them 90% of their overall yeah, time yeah, on the track yeah. because they're just, you know, spending eight to 10 hour sessions, just beating their head against the wall, trying to fix these minute issues. Yeah, yeah. And I love your approach. And I think it works for a couple of reasons. One, I think the fresh ears is huge. You know, people always talk about mixing with a fresh set of ears, but I think even that last um, you know, kind of polishing aspect of production is important just to make sure yeah. that 
you've got a good perspective. And then also I love your approach, just being methodical about it because you're not wasting time, which means you can, you know, end up finishing more music because yeah. you're not wasting time on things that don't need to be fixed. Yeah. I used to do full sessions, uh, like 10 tracks and, uh, and I do the 10 tracks in a row, but that's not great because you kind of lose the, 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 but when you go from one track to another, uh, for the structure, I guess it's fine. Maybe the arranging, the, 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 for the mix, for the, for the, for the sound, it's a bit harder because you've been listening to music for an hour, but for structure, as good as yeah. you fresh, first listen to a song, it's fine. But yes, I used to do sessions like that, but, but it's cool because then you have a guide and, and, um, and if you have OCD like me, whenever you fixed all the thing, you can turn your, your, the, turn the, the, the cell into green, you know, when it, yeah. when it's done, it turn it green and it gives you a <laughs> feeling of, a feeling of satisfaction that you don't always have in music because you finish a track and it's released a year later and maybe you'll get the result from that a year later. So if you can turn those little cells with all your problems yeah. that you know, you turn them green, it gives you a little instant satisfaction that sometimes is nice to help you keep going. Uh, it's maybe it sounds stupid that I'm sure a no. lot of people will. will uh, <laughs> no, I love that. that. <laughs> I think it's difficult to feel like you're being productive in the studio when yeah. for <laughs> lots of people, the only thing that makes them feel productive as an artist is to have a song up on Spotify, you know, yeah. you know or just to get it like released and be able to pitch it out to labels. So I think that's a great way to feel yeah. like you're not wasting time and also to be able yeah. to visually see, like I did these 15 things on this song today, I'm not done yeah. yet, or maybe I'm not getting it signed, but at least I'm putting it in time and I'm not just kind of spinning yeah. on a wheel here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, to me, it's very important to to feel productive and also to be productive. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah <laughs> sometimes uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard to kind of assess what you've done and say, okay, I can... I can have a good rest because I worked hard today and I can see what I did. But, 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 you know, some, I mean, you, you, you know, it in music, sometimes you spend three days working on something and then it's crap and that's it. And you've, but it's not a waste. It's, I feel like it's some, no pain, no gain. You have to go through those painful moments to get to the good moments. You know, it's a, yeah. it's like, I always see it like digging, you dig, and when you dig, you're going to, maybe there is something great under, uh, you know, at minus 10 meters, but yeah. uh, to get to the minus 10 meters, you're going to have to dig through a lot of not good stuff. But basically if you don't dig through them, I mean, you, you cannot get to the good stuff without the pain of the bad stuff, I guess. So, so, yeah. so I, sometimes I see it like that and I'm, and I'm, and I'm like, man, that was, that is bad. I had a bad day at the studio. It makes me unhappy, but keep going because you're going to get that to, to you. You're going to get to, to it. You know, the more you work and uh, the, the more it's going to work, but uh, yeah, but it's hard. It's hard. Totally. Cool. So a couple more questions and then we'll wrap things up. It seems like the thing that you just mentioned was like a perspective that you gained over time. So I'm curious, is there anything that you wish you could have known going back 10 years ago, or I guess a better way to phrase this is what advice would you have given the Joe Akeem 10, 15 years ago when you were first kind of starting out this project? Basically, if you, when you start music, when you, when you, when you, when you make music, you, tra it's like training. I have made more than two or 3000 tracks. I cannot even count them, you know, and yeah. it was all like an exercise, like training, you know? And then, uh, and, and when, as I was making them, I always thought, man, that's my, it's, it's going to be a hit. And then uh, yeah. it's not, it's just bad, but it's training. I learned something, you know? So if you want, if you love an artist, you can say, I oh, mean, I'm going to make a track like that guy, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's can be a good exercise and I think you should do it. But whenever you make it, you say, Oh, I'm going to make a track like something, you know, it never works. It's never a good track. The only, usually the good track is when you say, I want to make my own, I'm going to make my own stuff and whatever. 
Yeah. So, so yes. Yeah. So, and, and actually a good, so, so the advice I would give myself is because I tried it, I went through that road to, to try to kind of not copy the guys I love. That's not, it is because I always made my own stuff, but, but be more, let myself be really influenced with their stuff. And it never worked. It was never good. And when I look back, I don't even like those tracks. I don't even think they're that good. So, and, and there is already a guy making the music, you know, we don't need two guys making the same stuff. So, so basically, mm -hmm. so my advice is do your, do your own stuff because th these are the tracks which are going to work the, the, the best. And actually one thing is that yeah. it's the same. I heard that on, on Pensado Space is that it's a good technique. Um, and I did experience it and it was great. You know, when you really, really, really love someone, it's very hard not to be influenced and not to do to have a bit of DNA of that into your music. And a, yeah. good, a good idea is to, if you love an artist, you check who influenced his music. Well, and then yeah. you go to listen to the same, to, you go and listen to his influence and, th and then you're going to make something, you know, and if, it, if you let that influence you, basically you're going to make something kind of like the artist, but it will still be your own stuff and it's, and then it will work. I don't know. It's kind of weird to explain, but, when, but anyway, but yeah, if I had an advice to give myself, it'd be that too. Just do the music you love. Hold on and uh, don't give up. Never give up. <laughs> I love That's, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's talk about what's going to be coming up for you in uh, like the next few months. Uh, Soul Invictus, you've got out, which everybody should take a listen to. Outside of that, I believe you're working on, or at least building up to your um, debut album. So talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, basically, uh, uh, the album, I think, is almost complete, but I'm always working on it because we're always changing stuff to the last <laughs> moment i mean which uh, which is uh, it's great you know uh, i think i would be relieved when it's over over but then i will start on the second one probably but uh, but uh, yes yeah, so i have uh, so right now the, the first single's out and there is going to be more singles and then the album i'm not going to give the time uh, uh timeline time frame uh, right now but uh, yeah but it's all coming very soon uh, now people are going to be able to listen to way more music than in the last years i think and I think it's it's great. Uh, the album itself, uh, I'm still um, we're still in the process of, uh, of uh, writing some of the songs and recording. Uh, we're going to record and rearrange some of the songs, but uh, but it's going very well. I mean, and there is going to be a lot of great uh, collabs, uh, huge things actually. <laughs> Even me, it's like I can barely believe it. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's awesome. And uh, and, uh, and and great remix from from great guys I love and uh, and stuff. And and, and I am. I'm really excited and I feel kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel blessed with this, with this thing and with the, this new Armada thing. It's like, uh, it's, yeah, it's like a dream come true. You know, the, 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 I'm not just saying that because, you know, like to just to say it or whatever, but it's <laughs> genuinely, it's, uh, I, I feel like I've never been that happy in my music production, my music, you know, I feel like I can yeah. do the music I want. I feel supported and, uh, and I feel like I'm not doing my music in vain. Like, like when you start your music, like when you're beginning in your bedroom and you just do music and, and nobody will ever, almost never listen to it. And, and yeah. it, you feel like you're making all that for nothing. And I, and sometimes I had that feeling for many years, you know, and, and, uh, well, I don't want to exaggerate huh? the hungry years were, were, were great, but, but I do feel with the Armada, it's another step up, you know, and, yeah, and, it, and it's great. I'm, I'm really, really happy at the moment. So, well, that's the most important. Cool. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up for this episode. You can all find Joaquin Pastor's music in the description of this podcast. So go give it a listen as this episode is just about over. Joaquin, it's been great chatting with you. Appreciate you being on the show. 
Me too, I loved it.